Good afternoon, one and all, and welcome to the Grateful Dad Radio Hour, a conversation about men at home, at work, and at play, with your host, Doug Gertner, the Grateful Dad. Every week, Doug is joined by fascinating guests who tell their own authentic stories and explore all that it means to be a man. To join the conversation, call 1-888-321-RADIO. That's 1-888-321-7234. And now, here's your host, Doug Gertner, the Grateful Dad. Thank you, Cameron, and thank you, moms and dads, boys and girls, for tuning in today to the Grateful Dad Radio Hour. So glad you joined us on this beautiful, hot summer day here in Colorado. It's not officially summer, but uh, the temperature's going to break 90, and we'll be out playing in it after the show. But do stay tuned for the show today. We're talking about the Beatles with a couple of people who know more about them than anybody uh, I've ever met before. Todd Prusen's calling in from Atlanta. He's a Beatles scholar. Um, he's been featured on CNN TV, and um, I don't don't even know where to start with all the Beatles history that he knows, but uh, we'll take uh, our best shot at that. And later, my magical mystery guest will join me in the studio, a member of the Beatles' extended family, and um, there'll be a, a good chance for, for Todd to meet my guest. So uh, stay tuned for all of that, and if you find this a little bit interesting, intriguing, even if it's a little bit uh, different than the typical Grateful Dad Radio Hour. Let someone know that uh, you're interested and they may be too. You're at your computer, so email them and say, hey, the Grateful Dad Radio Hour is on the air. Just point your browser to castlerockradio.com. Text it out. Tweet it out. If you want to tweet me, I'm at Doug Gertner, D-O-U-G-G-E-R-T-N-E-R, all one word. And while you're there, you can like me uh, on Facebook. It's The Grateful Dads on Facebook. So let folks know that we're on the air, the real Beatles with Beatles scholar Todd Prusen and my magical mystery guest uh, all coming up later this month. It's all about fatherhood with Dr. Dad Armin Brat, Men Against Sexism with Dr. Bob Brannon, uh, Act Like a Man with Ken Solon, and uh, a reprise also of Guyland with Professor uh, Michael Kimmel. I'll be back on July 8th with my Holy Land Journal after spending a few weeks there. So until then, uh, the rest of June and into July, enjoy the encore broadcasts of The Grateful Dad Radio Hour. So glad you tuned in today. So glad that uh, we've got Todd calling in and my mystery guest coming in. And uh, before we get to them, you know, each week at this time, I like to reflect on what I'm grateful for. I call it my moment of gratitude. Because every day I use my gratitude journal, the Grateful Dad's Journal of Gratitude, and I note those things for which I'm grateful, which just continues to remind me I have so much to be grateful for. And today, as uh, warm temperatures signal the coming of summer, I want to pause and offer my moment of gratitude for fruits and vegetables, the fresh stuff. I'm so grateful, really, for the Earth's bounty that's increasing every day with the arrival of fresh fruits and vegetables. I'm grateful for berries, blue, black, rasps, straw, that I enjoy most every morning for breakfast with Greek yogurt and some granola, and for the sweet, sweet cherries that I eat to excess in spite of a mother's warning. And I'm also grateful for fresh veggies, including the carrots and celery and tomatoes and more that go into my salad of mixed fields greens to make a bed for some sort of protein at lunch. And gratefully, I appreciate the beans and the squash and the like that end up on my plate at dinner. And with gratitude, I anticipate the first farmer's market of the season in my neighborhood this coming weekend, 
where we can get all of these homegrown delights directly from the folks who harvest them. So that's my moment of gratitude for this week for fresh fruits and vegetables. And once again, I'm grateful to everyone for listening to the Grateful Dad Radio Hour today. And I do encourage you to make it a habit of being grateful. When I grow up, I want to work at Alfalfa's Where the cheese is dairy-free A Birkenstock, spandex, necktie, patchouli grocery store I'd have a job picking through the produce No pesticides for me I'd be a working, moderate income, socially conscious, bolder hippie All right, and now I turn to someone who is not a Boulder hippie, but we did see that band Leftover Salmon together one time. Todd Prusen once took me to a great restaurant in Atlanta called Eat Your Vegetables. I'm sure it's long gone, but he's here with us today. So, Todd, um, what are you grateful for today? Hello, Doug. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm grateful for you for having this wonderful radio program. And the main thing that I'm grateful for today, it'll change tomorrow, is music. (laughs) <laughs> my parents played a lot of music when I was growing up, and I'm grateful to enjoy and study it as much as I do. I'm grateful to be able to perform music for others, and as far as being a father is concerned, I'm grateful that I can literally bombard my five-and-a-half-year-old daughter with music. In addition to loving the Beatles, Devo, Reggae, and Mick Jagger, she also loves Carly Rae Jepsen, Adele, Taylor Swift, and Justin Bieber. And as I say... Whatever it takes. She can love whatever she wants as long as it's music. You're a good dad. You're a good dad. And uh, yeah, you know, when when our musical tastes uh, diverge and differ from those of our kids, we just have to remember it's all rock and roll. It's all under the same umbrella. So that's Todd Brewson, Beatles scholar, my guest coming up in just a short while. Thanks, Todd. Um, Let me add that I'm also asking this question of all of you, my listeners. Take a minute and consider, what are you grateful for today? Think about it, and go to my website, thegratefuldad.org slash shop. You can get a copy of The Grateful Dad's Gratitude Journal and start keeping your gratitude journal today. Today, before uh, the break, I want to give you my full circle fatherhood report. Every week, I like to give an update, and, and it's based on my contribution to the men's anthology called Ordinary Men, Extraordinary Lives, Defining Moments. That's one of the sponsors of our show, um, it's it's uh, it has to do with being both the parent of my dad when he was sick, and also parenting my son, and how fatherhood came full circle in that regard. And today's edition of the Full Circle Fatherhood Report is titled "Continuation." You see, my teenage son awoke from a classic anxiety dream the other morning. He dreamt he was sitting in a high school math class, <clears throat> totally unprepared and fearful of the consequences. (coughs) The timing of the dream is right, since this Wednesday is continuation day at his school, and Jordy's going to join 20 or so of his classmates in a ceremony that functions as graduation from middle school. He'll wear a tux, give a speech, and then go off to play laser tag and have a pool party with his classmates. His anxiety will be forgotten with a fun summer ahead. Knowing my son and his math skills and his diligence as a student, he's likely not to actually experience the sort of scene that caused him to wake in horror the other day. When my dad was alive, and especially the last several years that he lived in my town and was in my care, He seldom mentioned his dreams or his anxieties. I'd occasionally hear about some quirky thought that had occurred to him in the night. Less often, my dad might briefly let on about a fear or concern. 
He was of the generation and the gender that keeps stuff to themselves. Even as his mind faded fast and his health was fading as well, I was never able to engage my father in sharing what he was thinking, let alone what he was feeling about aging, about end of life. Now me, I'm often said to be the touchy-feely type, right? A sensitive, new-age, baby-boomer sort of guy who's quick to open up, some might say in excess, to obsess about feelings. My son, he claims to be more of a thinker. I need to be honest and say that I hope he trends toward uh, my style more than that of his papa, that he learns to be open and honest about his range of feelings, whether happy or sad or scared or confused or angry or ecstatic or anxious or whatever, so that he doesn't risk the loneliness, the isolation, the ultimate lack of connection that I saw my father face during much of his life. Our feelings are what connect us with others. A beating heart filled with a vast range of human emotions is the one thing that we all have in common. I truly hope to keep my heart open, to always share with those who care, and to let my son know that he can do the same, that I'm among many who will encourage his heart, abate his anxiety, and celebrate joyously with him on this continuation day and many other milestones in the years ahead. And that's the Full Circle Fatherhood Report for this week. It'll be up on my blog on Wednesday at thegratefuldad.org. Yes, pomp and circumstances. Elgar, I think. Um, But you can get it in any particular way. Hey, in case you're trying to make contact today, um, I understand that the uh, 888 number is down. 303-565-4311 is the studio line if you want to talk to Cindy and possibly to my guests and me today. 303-565-4311. So, uh... We know that we're going to meet just after the break. Uh, my guest, Todd A. Prusen, a music journalist and Beatles scholar, uh, to talk about the Beatles. But um, he was connecting some dots between my music show, if you were listening, and um, and and the Beatles. And um, who'd thunk it? Except that when he said it, it was like, duh, I know something about that. So, Todd, before uh, I introduce you, but just knowing that you're in, I want to get you to man up here for a second and. Um, um, circle back to, um, I was playing Death Cab for Cutie, Ben Gibbard's band, one of the several Ben Gibbard variations that I played along with Jenny Lewis in the last uh, hour of music to commemorate the fact that Ben and Jenny are uh, also in the band Postal Service, who I saw on Red Rocks. And um, you heard Death Cab, Cab for Cutie, and of course, being the Beatles scholar you are, you connected the dots between that uh, kind of modern alternative band and the Beatles were here to talk about the day. So uh, say more about that connection, if you would, please. Well, it's pretty simple, Doug. In fact, I'm embarrassed to share it with your listeners, because I'm sure they all know. But uh, there's a band in England called the Bonzo Dog Duda Band in the late 60s. And when the Beatles were filming Magical Mystery Tour, they needed a band for the strip club scene. And they got the Bonzo Dog Duda Band, for whom Paul McCartney had produced their 45 I Am the Urban Spaceman. He produced it under a fake name called Bernard Webb to prove 
that as a producer, he has skills separate from just being Paul McCartney. And I think it did have some chart action over there. And the song that the Bonzos played in the Magical Mystery Tour film or television program was called Death Cab for Cutie. And that's where the band got their name. Ah, I get that. Thank you, thank you. And I just got to see Magical Mystery Tour. I think they were doing something special on public TV not that long ago. So there's the connection. And and, and I'm trying to figure out why I know of, you know, I, I, I call them the Bonzo Dog Band. I didn't have that doo in there, but... Uh, but somehow they must have gotten onto my musical radar, and certainly you've got the scoop on them. So, so thanks. That's that's Todd Todd Bruce, and you'll meet him right after the break. Be- before we go to break, I'm just going to set the context for where we going, where we're going with all this. You know, the Beatles said, "All you need is love, and love is all you need." And into, isn't it interesting that that refrain it it, it it manifests in the fact that everyone knows. And everyone loves the Beatles and their music. And and so, you know, today we're going to meet somebody who loves them to the point of really learning all there is to know. Like we do when we're in love. We, 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 we you know, we learn all we know about those whom we love. And, and as a Beatles scholar, we're going to hear sort of one man's lifelong love affair, uh, when it started, why it started, where it's led. And then when you meet my mystery guest, there's an interesting different take on um, this obsessive love because my guest knows what it's like to be a part of the Beatles' extended family. And and when obsession for anything turns into really taking on a life of its own and affecting the life of those who are the objects of that love, um, you know, you begin to question fame and all that the Beatles had. The Real Beatles are our topic today. Stay tuned. You'll meet Beatles scholar Todd Prusen officially after this break. You're listening to the Grateful Dad Radio Hour on CastleRockRadio.com. Stick with us. Lived a man who sailed to sea And he told us of his life In the land of submarines So we sailed unto the sun this the Grateful Dad Radio Hour or not? I've spent over 18 months, it seems like, doing this radio show and coming in and out of breaks with two distinct Grateful Dad songs, Grateful Dead songs, rather, and here I am, uh, and it's the Beatles taking us in and out of breaks, thanks to the magic of Cindy in the engineering booth, and that's because our topic today is the Beatles. I'm calling it the real Beatles, because uh, there's the Beatles that we all know and love, and then there's the Beatles that uh, my guests today are familiar with, Beatles scholar Todd Prusen and a uh, magic mystery guest from the Beatles extended family as we all know the fab four are truly among the most revered and the most enigmatic figures of modern history John Paul George and Ringo have made music and changed society and culture through fashion lifestyle and influence that reaches far beyond the pop songs they produced my guest today is rock journalist and Beatles scholar Todd A. Prusen calling in from Atlanta Georgia where he's also a husband father working musician and at least three bands at last count, and a professional research librarian. 
Todd has been seen on CNN TV, and his music writing has appeared in publications internationally, including the Beatles Monthly and Mojo Magazines, both of uh, London, England, along with Relics Magazine, and Atlanta's Creative Loafing, and of course the local uh, journal Constitution. Today he's going to offer some stories, some insights, some backstories that'll change the way I think you think about the Beatles as men and musicians. And stay tuned for my magical mystery guest, a member of the Beatles' extended family who's going to share some rare stories and inside glimpses of the Beatles on this very special edition of the Grateful Dad Radio Hour. So right now, welcome back, Todd Prusen. Hey, man. Thanks, Doug. So you know how I like to start. Um, I, I like to get a little background in who's my guest today, and I often frame it uh, by asking, based on that uh, book that I contributed to that's one of our sponsors, um, a little bit of background and a defining moment or two in your life. How might you introduce yourself with that in mind as sort of a milepost and uh, through the lens of the Beatles as well? Well, to keep it Beatle-focused, uh, when I was a kid, uh, my dad would play 8-track cassettes in the car. You guys can look it up online if you don't know what they are. If you don't know what an 8-track tape is, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, considering we're listening to this on the internet, but we listen to 8-tracks, we listen to Fleetwood Mac, Steels and Crofts, The Who, Eric Clapton, Simon and Garfunkel, but he had the Red and the Blue albums on 8-track, and I just really fell in love with the, the I hate this word, but it's the best word, the songcraft. Uh-huh. And I started to express an interest in play it again, play it again, and then my grandmother, Lily Halpern, uh, oh, of Denver, like, late of Denver, Colorado. What a Denver, sweet... Denver, Colorado. Yes. She uh, gave me... She was friends with the people at the May DNF company in downtown Denver. Yeah. And back then, you would buy records at department stores, and she was friends with the owner, and he gave her 13 Beatle LPs to give to her grandson, me. 13? 13. Uh, the major 13, they were all American pressings, but I would look at the um, mop top George Harrison... And then look at the Harry, hey, Jude, George Harrison, and I was convinced there was a fifth person, like <laughs> like the Yardbirds had people cycle in and out. And I couldn't come to terms with this, the, the exact same guy, because Paul, you could always tell because of his eyes, and other Beatles had features, but George, he just didn't look the same. So I started to research and look at his photo from the first album to the last and see how they evolved and how the same band that played Love Me Do was also the band that played um, I want you. She's so heavy. And how could it be the same people? Because it didn't sound the same. And what and so I, what I age would, are we talking about? I mean, so you're riding around in your dad's car, and for folks who don't remember eight tracks, unlike cassettes, although there was a function for this too, but eight tracks looped around and around and around, and they they never stopped. And so yeah, you kept hearing stopped. the songs over and over again. And just like when our kids want to hear the same story over and over again, there's like a an archetypal place that it reaches into your soul. I'm getting all Jungian now, and that's not where we were supposed to go today, but something resonated deep down inside you, and then your grandma Lily in Denver learned of your your growing passion as a kid, and she sends you, you know, most people I say, so what was your first album, or what was your first Beatles album? In your case, you got 13 at once. What a bounty. No wonder you're uh, uh, somebody who knows more about the Beatles. I gotta, I, I just have to ask you, how many Beatles albums in your record collection today? Well, you asked, <laughs> I knew you were going to ask. It's less than 300. Less than three. Hold on. I'm writing this down. Less than 300. But how many albums did the Beatles make? This doesn't make sense to me. They made 12 or 13, depending on who you ask. Okay. Because in England, Magical Mystery Tour was a double EP, 7-inch. Uh. 
And in America, it was an LP, but there's a whole other radio show for the discrepancy between Beatles, American, and British albums. But they made 13, but... How is it then that you have 300 records by the Beatles in your collection, please? Well, I was looking at my Let It Be's today. I have one from the Philippines, one from France, two from Japan, one from England on white vinyl, one from England on black vinyl, one American with a red apple. Um, different albums are in mono stereo, different albums that for different covers. Some have different song selection. And then, as I said, you can have a, an American revolver or a British revolver. There's two revolvers right there that aren't even the same. Origin of pressing, origin of distribution. and Origin of pressing and distribution. I have some Israeli records that weren't pressed in Israel but dist- distributed in Israel. Then I have some Israeli records that were pressed in Israel. Oh, my so goodness. There's two versions of the same thing right there. So when you start to add them up, um, some have gatefolds, some don't. Some have the original sleeves. Some have goodies inside, uh, mono stereo, different labels, different pressings. It, it adds up fairly quickly, but it's not quickly because it's been over 30 years. So it's taken me a long time. That's amazing. And, you know, I, I invited people to call in 303-565-4311. If, if you can top that, if, if you collect beyond, and, and Paul Epstein, if you're listening, you don't count because you own Twist and Shout Records, the best independent record store in the whole wide world right in Denver, Colorado. Right. But, you know, if you can top that, let us know, you know, whether you've got one or 300, or or none for that matter. You remember the research, I think it was out of Duke University a few years ago, where they were able to determine that everybody in the world can complete sentences that begin with the start of Beatles lyrics, right? So everybody knows, and, and how can you not love the Beatles? I got to ask you, what made the Beatles so popular in their time? Why why are they still so significant today? What what's What's up with the Beatles, man? Well, they were doing things at the time that simply hadn't been done before. Why does everyone remember Neil Armstrong? Um, That's popular- one small step for man, right yeah. onto the moon. You can't do that again. Popular culture at the time was burdened for the receipt of such musical output. And this is for listeners as well as players. And one thing that I like to describe is they weren't singer-songwriters only, but they were guitar players. They were drummers, they were pianists, they were bass players. And when you ask people like David Crosby or Bob Weir of the Grateful Dead, when they saw A Hard Day's Night at the movie theater, they identified with the guitars and the drums. Now, the little girls and the boys, they have been screaming and screaming. shaking. <laughs> but the older guys were looking at it with, instead of screaming, their mouths were just open aghast because of the sounds that were coming through the instrument. Uh. And so the song craft um, hadn't happened before. And it's like I said, you can't land on the moon for the first time twice. Once the Beatles did it, Roger McGuinn could do it a little more, but he couldn't do it for the first time. Roger McGuinn of the Birds, who played a right. Rickenbacker 12-string, who, like you know... Like Harrison did. Just like Harrison. And, and yeah, who, I mean, who do we know that, that, that musically, that, that's recording in the last 20, 30, 40 years, who doesn't list one or a combination, all of the Beatles as their musical influences. How many bands launched after saying we went to see the Beatles on those rare early American tours? I mean, they took American music, they ran it through their Liverpool filter, they fed it back to us and they changed the world. Yeah. And, um, they were, they were, you just couldn't, it didn't happen before and it won't happen again. And even if you listen to the Beastie Boys and things like that, there's Beatles 
uh, quotes in there. And even though a guy like, and I'm just making this up, I have no idea, but a guy like Justin Bieber, he may not have been influenced by the Beatles, but the music that he listened to was, and if you swim upstream, it goes beyond the Beatles to Chuck Berry and Louis Jordan and Charlie Christian and so on. Most definitely. But the Beatles were the ones where it like went from a single garden hose to a shower head, and it just flirted a hundred different ways, and everyone got a drop of the Beatles. It was really hard not to. And then those people, like McGuinn, Crosby, um, and so on, they took it and they turned on other people, like at Monterey or Woodstock, where the Beatles had no presence. And then those people took it and they went to their corners of the world. And it was like a very positive, happy infestation. Beatles, get it? Infestation. <laughs> and uh, it just, before no. you know it, all four corners of the globe had been positively infested by the Beatles in some way, shape, or form. I mean, even ACDC's brothers band, the Easy Beats in Australia, were like a Beatles copy band who influenced ACDC. And when you listen to ACDC, I don't hear much Beatles influence, but it's certainly there. It certainly is. And who, yeah, who was not influenced by the Beatles? Um, I, I, I beg to say, I remember an interview in the 80s, early 80s, Paul uh, McCartney was asked, um, who, who's the greatest musician in the world? Who's the greatest, you know, live act you've ever seen? And he actually named Fela Ransom Cootie, uh, a, a Nigerian musician who then, when I heard Paul say it, then I went, ran out and, and uh, learned about Fela myself. And, and that brought me back around to uh, African and Nigerian music and King Sonny Day and all of that. So, Todd, I don't need to give you a minute to think about this, but uh, we'll leave our listeners in suspense um, when we go to break here. There are many cliches associated with the Beatles, many uh, cliche questions that happen that, that, that people ask. I'm going to try not to ask you too many. Um, when our guests come in, I'm, I'm going to try not to ask my mystery guest um, anything too cliche because it's kind of offensive the closer you get to the Beatles family. But in this case, if listeners will stay tuned, I, I, I'm going to see how you deal with this question right after the break. My, my guest is Todd Prusen, a music journalist, a Beatles scholar. You've uh, perhaps caught him on CNN. I'll have to ask you about that in a second. But when we come back from break, I'm going to ask him the question, Todd, I want to know who's your favorite Beatle, okay? And that's not a fair question, but hang on to that one. This is the Grateful Dad Radio Hour, but the Beatles have taken over. Stay tuned. We'll be back talking about the Beatles right after this. Yes, this is the Grateful Dad Radio Hour. The Beatles have taken over. I've just seen the face of uh, a magical mystery guest who's joining me in the studio shortly. Our topic is the Beatles with Todd A. Prusen calling in from Atlanta, Georgia, where he is a uh, Beatles scholar, a librarian, a father, a writer, and... Um, 300 Beatle albums we learned from him, even though the Beatles only made a baker's dozen in their day. Um, so, 
Todd, I, before we went to the break, the question on the table was the cliche, and, and I'm just curious how you handle this. Um, people always seem to have a favorite. Now, I, I got to admit, like um, in second grade in my life, the monkeys hit the scene, and that's a whole other show you're right about, you know, let's get the Hollywood studios to audition players to try to create the Beatles um, in a way that, you know, was not organic and really is not legitimate, but there, are, that's another discussion about, hey, hey, we're the monkeys. But I remember, you know, who my favorite monkey was. I'm asking you about the Beatles. Who is your favorite Beatle? Uh, what day is it today? Monday? Uh-huh. Okay, I'll go with John. Okay. Uh, don't ask me tomorrow because I'll have another answer, but my, my favorite Beatle usually fluctuates between who, as a musician, has impressed me the most recently. And I was watching a clip the other day of the Beatles on the new, um, new Musical Express poll, 1965, in London, and they opened their set with I Feel Fine, and John was playing his acoustic Gibson um, J160E for the beginning of I Feel Fine with that famous feedback and the riff. And I knew that he had played it in the studio, but figured that he played his Rickenbacker on stage. But in fact, he chose to play this guitar, which at the time, the technology would have rendered it very, very cumbersome as a live instrument. Um, and he chose to play that guitar because that's obviously the guitar that he felt best approximated the live riff from the I Feel Fine studio version. And when I saw him do that and then switch to the Rickenbacker for the next song, I just thought, that's really cool. Yeah. And so since you ask me, and I think we're going to have a John theme here in a moment, I'm not sure, but so I'm going to go with John just because he played that Gibson live when he didn't need to. It's kind of like when you see a bird walking. Yeah. And you think, gee, the bird doesn't need to walk. But it is, so I think that's pretty neat. It is very cool. As you you know, my son, Jordy, uh, you've known him from a a very early age. In fact, you've had an influence on him musically uh, for his bar mitzvah. You sent him a very rare uh, Beatles... Forty five from your collection, very, very kind, sweet, menchy thing to do, but you knew that his musical journey took him through his own obsession with the Beatles, and at one point he found himself on a on a local terrestrial radio station, the mountain they had breakfast with the Beatles, a two hour show on Sundays, and my nine year old kid is in there talking to this beatles uh, dj and and the guy says who 's your favorite beetle and um, I thought it was pretty cool that for for Jordy it was george and um, yeah. everybody 's got their own. And like you say, on any given day, um, we are going to do a bird walk here in just a second to meet our magical mystery guest. Uh, when I try to connect the Beatles with my typical topic of my show, men and fatherhood, I wonder what comes up for you, the Beatles, men and fatherhood. Well, uh, you know, that's a little beyond my scholarship because it's so <laughs> subjective, but they each eventually became good dads, I guess. Uh, Zach Starkey plays drums with The Who, and he used to play with Oasis in a couple bands, and he's super fantastic. I've seen him, and I think that whether or not Ringo threw him the drumsticks or not, that shows a good influence from Ringo. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, how do you take the seat that was held by the madman, the master Keith Moon, and Zach Starkey? You've got to be from uh, pretty good lineage to do that. And then... uh, Danny Harrison was in town recently. I talked to a guy on our bike trip the other day who saw black, um, black leather motorcycle. Black, uh, yeah, you mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, and, and, and Danny Harrison's band opened. He's followed, followed in his father's footsteps. What do you know about Danny? What do you think? Well, I know a lot about him because since his father passed away, uh, he's been kind of, he and his mother have been, I guess is the verb, curatorial with his estate and mm-hmm. have been doing 
I have only respect for that because it is something that you could easily bobble, and he hasn't. But both George and Paul McCartney seem to have encouraged their children to perform in creative ways. Uh, one of Paul's kids is a guitar player. Stella is a famous uh, dress designer or something. It's a little outside of my expertise, but she's a successful stylist. And um, as we know, uh, John Lennon, when his second son, Sean, was born in 75, retired from music altogether to stay home and raise their kid. And I think that's a good sign of parenting. It's something that he grew into, for sure. Absolutely. But Absolutely. Four of them seem to have proof on the ground as we speak. Two of them are deceased, of course, uh, the fathers, but they have proof on the ground that they were good dads or became good dads. And uh, You know, i got to say, as you appreciate, one of the inspirations for The Grateful Dad is watching the wheels go round and round. Is, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's quite all right to, to bake bread and be a dad. And I'm, I'm, I'm eternally grateful to John Lennon for making, you know, the kind of the role of an active dad something, uh, as you say, that he came to later in life. Uh, with uh, a second family. That's a theme for another show, whether or not we're talking about well-known uh, world figures or the everyday dads we know. And I think it's a perfect segue to meet our mystery guest today. I've been billing our magical mystery guest. This woman was the title character in a Beatles-related song featuring an awesome Eric Clapton solo. As a six-year-old, she attended recording sessions with all four Beatles at Abbey Road Studios in London. She traveled to Ireland and Scotland on a Lennon family vacation. I want to introduce you to our mystery guest. It's Kyoko Ono Cox, Yoko Ono's daughter and John Lennon's stepdaughter. She's here with me in Castle Rock Radio Studios, and I want to say a warm and sincere welcome, Kyoko, and, and let you explain what brings you here today. How, how, how'd this happen? Well, Doug, um, our kids have been friends for years, and I've known you for years, and basically you impressed me as a dad. Thanks. Thanks. And, and you know some about dads. Uh, you know, your, your, your own father really was passionate about keeping you in his life. And if folks want to know the backstory, they can learn uh, about Tony, right? But people, since this is a Beatles show, are, are going to be interested to know that John Lennon was your stepfather. Um, tell us a little bit about this. this the, the song we're talking about is Don't Worry, Kyoko. Uh. And and the notion here is that a mother missing her daughter wrote a passionate blues song, and it was performed all over the place. Uh, Todd will give us a little backstory if you want, because uh, he knows every album it occurred on and every time it was played live or in the studio. What's it like, or, or what's your own sort of uh, sense of, of knowing that that song, uh, to you, Don't Worry Kyoko, was out there with your mom and John Lennon? Well, it's a huge honor. And, um, you know, over the years, you realize that to have something like that to remind you of uh, your mother and your stepfather's love is is so precious. It is. You know, parents sing lullabies and uh, parents on an international stage get to, to sing them and have them uh, re-recorded. I saw a I was playing Yola Tengo on my music show, and the, they did they did a, an album recently, and and actually uh, carried that song as well. Um, for don't, for folks who don't remember that song, Todd, uh, give us the quick refresher the the uh, source of "Don't Worry, Kyoko." Well, the very clinical version, and Kyoko's memories are far more rich than mine. Uh, the John and second forty five was Cold Turkey. 
and the B side was Don't Worry Kyoko, and uh, that's where it originally appeared, and then Yoko released an album called Fly, it was her second LP, and the song appeared on it, and yes, uh, Eric Clapton did play guitar on it, and then I think the version that most people know, those who don't turn over their Cold Turkey 45, is that it's on the Live Peace in Toronto album, which took place in September 69 at Toronto's Varsity Stadium, when John was asked to hastily assemble a band called the Plastic Ono Band, and one of the songs that they performed there was Don't Worry, Kyoko, and because of that album, which I think is more popular than the Cold Turkey 45, a lot of people know it from there as well. So there's three places where you can hear it. So uh, according to Todd's research, Kyoko, you must have been six during the Beatles' final recording sessions. Um, What's your memory of being at Abbey Lane? Well, um, you know, I was a little kid. Yeah, (laughs) must have been fun. (laughs) And um, it was, you know, very dramatic. It was, you know, these guys were serious, hard workers. And, you know, I was a kid who wanted to draw and play with my dolls and, you know, that type of thing. But I I did realize that I was um, around some very important happenings and... um, you knew yeah. even at that age that, yeah. that there was something big going on here. So when we come back from the break, um, I'm going to be curious. My, my guest today, in addition to Todd Prusin, uh, a Beatles scholar, is uh, Kyoko Ono Cox, uh, Yoko Ono's daughter and a member of the Beatles' extended family who you know knew John Lennon as, as her stepfather at an early age. Um, I'm, I'm going to be curious to, to kind of have you search your memory banks for fond Beatles memories and, 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 and kind of consistent with our theme in the show, you know, what kind of dad did you know John to be? Um, so favorite memories of recording studios and the like, um, from my guests, Kyoko Ono Cox and Todd Prusin. We're talking about the Beatles. This is the Grateful Dad Radio Hour. Stick with us. about the Beatles today with Beatles scholar Todd A. Prusin and Yoko Ono's daughter, Kyoko Ono Cox, my magical mystery guest in the studio. We were hearing, Kyoko, about six-year-old Kyoko in Abbey Road Studios for the, the, the last Beatles album. It was, it was, Todd, help me out here. It was not the last one released. It was the last one recorded. Do I have that right? Recorded after Let It Be, but Let It Be was released after Abbey Road. So she would have been around in the summer of 69 uh, after her trip to Scotland and that would have been Abbey Road era. So you were there Kyoko when the last Beatles album was being recorded. Um, you said it was a lot of fun to be a kid there and I said I'd ask you sort of you know your fondest Beatles memory as a kid playing around these guys what comes to mind for you? 
Well, um, the, first of all, everyone in that whole environment had a lot of respect for children mm-hmm. because it was the 60s. And at the same time that they had some issues with older people, yeah. they were very, very um, intrigued and fascinated by a childlike demeanor and um, by children themselves for their kind of naivete and naturalness. And they were the anti-establishment. Yeah, they yeah. were. And so they, I was always uh, probably respected way too much as a kid in that environment Impossible. because of that Impossible. kind of thing. But um that's one thing I remember, and um, when I'm, this is another place, not Abbey Road, and I don't remember the name of the studio, but it had this very cool dome-like structure for going in and meditating, and when you went in, there was a button, and the floor would rise up. Oh my god! And then you couldn't, like, no one could come in, and you the floor go rose out. up into the dome, and you were covered dome, by the dome. And then, like the whole dome. You what know, did you see when you, you looked out of the dome? Well, the, my memory is the ceiling was had a kind of translucent, uh. milky quality, so you felt very. It was a very peaceful kind of place. Now, of course, as uh-huh. a little kid, yeah, I just wanted to go play in that all the time. Uh-huh. And of course, being the responsible adults that they were, they did not want me pushing this button that raised okay. the floor okay. um, up all by myself. So be, what happened? You know, so um, John and Paul would take turns uh, <laughs> taking me out for a break and letting me raise up the floor. And what they fun. they totally loved that I loved it, and they were there, they were loving it, and. Um, Todd, Todd, where do you think this took place? Can you can you place this domed place that Kyoko remembers playing with the two yes, Beatles, John and, and, and Paul? Uh, Kyoko, by the way, hello. It's a pleasure to meet you, so to speak. Um, Hi, Todd. <laughs> uh, Paul still owns a house on uh, Cavendish Avenue, which is about two or three blocks away from the Abbey Road studio. And in the back of that house, he had this room which would have been a greenhouse if he had any plants growing in it, but it did have a domed glass ceiling. And I believe it was in that rear room of his house that you're talking about. I didn't know about the floor, so leave it to you, a primary source to educate all of us, because I've never heard mention of the floor, but that was a round room with uh, a bench, padded benches along the perimeter where they would go and hang out, and there's a famous photo session of the Beatles in that domed room, and that has to be what you're talking about because there's no feature like that at Abbey Road or Olympic Studios, which is another possible location for you to have witnessed them record. That neither has a domed roof. So I think that was it at Paul's house. Does that sound right? It could have been. Maybe. I mean, you know, for me, this is a childhood memory, and um, I've never been interested in, like, verifying this location or that location. It's just a happy memory. What other childhood memories? I mean, what do you, you know, we've been talking about the Beatles as men and dads, and there's, you know, very few folks who could be behind the mic with me here, Kyoko, who, who, you know, knew them this way. Um, What stands out for you from from these guys that, that you knew as a child, mostly? Well, um... The way I saw it was, interestingly enough, you know, because they all have this reputation about being radical rockers and mm-hmm. everything, um, that for that time period and for the, you know, the whole um, anti-establishment of the 60s, um, they <laughs> I don't want this to sound uh, strange, they were somewhat 
conservative about their kids. They oh. they didn't they wanted to be careful and protective from that point of view. That makes Whereas sense. a lot of other people were very, you know, they felt, you know, that they should just let kids do whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So for example, like I said, you know, they were very cautious about letting me go out and get on that that floor with the button mm-hmm. on my own, which mm-hmm. actually could have been a very serious um potential accident. Yeah. So um, they were, you know, they, these were people who uh, put a lot of thought into everything they did. Clearly. And, and what they thought and, and produced changed the world. And I, I, I mean, their music for sure, but also their progeny. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you know, my guest is, is Kyoko Ono Cox and she's Yoko Ono's daughter. We're talking about the Beatles today. And so as a, a friend of mine for many years, I appreciate you coming in and sharing something that we don't talk about on a regular basis because we like to talk about our kids, just like you're saying, the Beatles really like to focus on their kids, but they also, they didn't just turn the world on to their music. They turned the world on to some great progeny. And um, you and I got to see your brother, Sean, play um, a couple years back and I love his music it um, it's going to show up in my uh, radio show from time to time and already has um, Todd before we have to go um, you know I've just introduced you to my friend Kyoko and you have uh, learned more about any the Beatles than anyone I know other than as you say our primary source here who just lived it uh, anything you want to run by or ask her or uh, anything before we have to say so long yeah i do kyoko and as a you know as a i don't even remember anything when i was six so asking these questions is almost funny but uh is your birthday august 8th no it's august 3rd and um i i'm guessing you're wondering if i was there for the photo session and i was not i've had a lot of people wonder yeah. But because, because my birthday's so close to that, but we're talking about August nineteen sixty nine, and we determined that August eighth, nineteen sixty nine. You told me Todd was the famous uh, yeah. crossing of of Abbey Road there, and that famous photo, which we've all been to Abbey Road and stood and taken our picture in that. And I'm so bummed that my camera fried after I left London, and I lost my photo of me doing that. But uh, I just I got to go back. So you weren't there, but you were in the vicinity for sure. Uh, at that time. I was probably trying to extend my birthday yes. enjoyment yeah. as long as possible. Yes, I don't want to be out in the street at a photo <laughs> shoot. It's about me. I'm turning six after all. And Todd knows that age very well, having a, a kindergartner in his house. Well, I, I want to thank my guests, uh, Todd Prusen calling in from uh, Atlanta, where he uh, is a, a music journalist, a Beatles scholar, a professional librarian, and a lover and player of so much music that uh, you could be a reoccurring guest on my show, Todd, because it's something that you and I are both passionate about and love to talk about. My other guest, Kyoko Ono Cox, uh, Yoko Ono's daughter. Um, thanks for making the time to be here to tell the stories. And and you and I could get together like this again and talk about music and art and family. Before you go, Kyoko, um, there's a Grateful Dad in your household Father's Day is coming up. This T-shirt is for him. It's the official Grateful Dad T-shirt. I know you're a writer and an artist. Um, the best that I've put out there is an essay in Ordinary Men, Extraordinary Lives, and my gratitude journal, the Grateful Dad's Journal of Gratitude. They're both gifts for you today as I hand them across the console. I appreciate Cindy for running the dials and uh, changing up the music a little bit. Typically, you hear Grateful Dad, Grateful Dead as the intro and outro to the Grateful Dad. Today, it's been all about the Beatles, and I'm truly grateful to kill 
Joko for being in the studio, to uh, Todd Thank for calling you, in, and uh, we, we even had a mystery guest on a pair of headsets here, but uh, we'll keep that to ourselves and just uh, ask you to stay tuned, not only for Jason and Susan with their uh, Social Buzz Radio Power Hour, but every week uh, at this time, 1 o'clock, the Grateful Dad Radio Hour comes your way, and I'm excited for all of my upcoming guests you can hear next week uh, an encore broadcast of Mr. Dad Armin Brat. Soon after that, Dr. Bob Brandon talking about men against sexism, Act Like a Man with Ken Solon, Guyland with Professor Michael Kimmel. And I come back live after my uh, sojourn, my, uh, my trip to Mecca, as it were. I'll be in the Holy Land for a few weeks and reporting back to you on July 8th. Until I talk to you again, please remember to be grateful and I'll meet you back here at the Grateful Dead Radio Hour on CastleRockRadio.com. Tell you something, I think you'll understand.